Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 931. Find something in life to be passionate about and try not to sit and, and stagnate or be content with, with the status quo. And it doesn't matter what you're passionate. It could be gardening, it could be cars, it could be collecting butterflies, but find, find a passion and I think you're, you're going to be more content in yourself and proud of your accomplishments if you, if you do that. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Mark Jones. Hey, Mark, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I certainly am. Take off. All right, here we go. Mark Jones is the proprietor at Britsport of Seattle in Seattle, Washington. Since 1992, he and his talented craftsmen restore and repair classic British cars of all marks. They're a full-service restoration business performing award-winning work utilizing experience from over 30 years of painting, restoring, repairing a wide spectrum of vintage cars. They rebuild British gearboxes and Laycock overdrive units as well and perform pre-purchase inspections for their clients in addition to buying and selling fine classic automobiles. Mark worked in the train industry in his prior profession from the time he was in high school working the graveyard shift and then going to school during the day. Holy cow. He was a dispatcher, a telegrapher, a yard clerk, and more until his passion for cars turned into a full-time business at Britsport. So, Mark, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your business and a very obvious passion for British automobiles? Well, uh, I guess initially I was bitten with the British bug while working uh, in Montana for the railroad in the early 80s where I saw a TR3 for sale. And I bought it and just enjoyed the heck out of it. Drove it for years and uh, ended up buying another British car, which was a 74 E-Type, B12 E-Type. And uh, once that British bug uh, was planted in my head, it uh, it became a rash that I could not get rid of. And I just became enamored with, with all things uh, British and British sports cars. And that grew into what I do professionally now. Well, definitely got bit by the Brit bug, as they say. So that is very cool. I love the fact that you turned that into a business, and that's what everything here at Cars Yeah is all about. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Mark, take the wheel. Well, I think the thing that has stuck in my head over the last uh, 20, 25 years of uh, running the business is uh, a guy that I greatly respect years ago, told me to be successful in the in uh, business life, you have to find your niche. And once you find your niche, drive a train through it, <laughs> which was a, which was a nice analogy because uh, I was in the trains at the time. But, I know. Yeah. And uh, I took that as find a business focus to the best that you can and realize that you cannot be all things to all people, but find your niche become as, as proficient at your craft as you possibly can. And if you stay focused, you don't have the normal complications of business, which is 
trying to be all things to all people on all different types of cars. And if you do that, your focus is so distracted on different marks, different uh, marks of cars, you know, from hot rods to must cars to British cars to Italian cars. You can't be all things to all people. So I tried to, to stick with that, um, stay focused, become as good as I can at what I'm focusing on, and it's uh, served me well. You know, it was really great advice, and I hear this from so many successful professionals, is be very narrow but very deep versus very wide and very shallow. And I think you put it very, very well. Yeah, focus, focus, niche down, niche down, niche down. And that will usually find a place for success where people will start to look at you as a very experienced and knowledgeable person in that industry and reliable as well. So that was a great, great suggestion of that buddy of yours. I love the train analogy, too. That was (laughs) classic for you. Well, the other thing that is important, and I have an advantage working in the affluent Pacific Northwest with a plethora of car collectors and sheer amount of cars, I don't think I could do what I do in like a little town in Nebraska or North Texas or something like that. So I'm, I'm blessed with the ability uh, to have the number of cars that are in the Pacific Northwest and be able to specialize in a certain, in a certain slice of that. And uh, it's, it's uh, served me well. Oh, no doubt. You know, we're practically neighbors. I'm just about an hour south of you here in Gig Harbor. And I've been here for almost 24 years now. When I moved here from the south or from the Southern California area, I thought, oh, I'm leaving car Mecca for rain. And (laughs) I very quickly started to meet a lot of people up here. And oh, my gosh, the plethora of car collectors and cars in the Pacific Northwest. I, I just keep finding people. I keep meeting people. And, of course, over the many years, I've met so many wonderful people that are so friendly and opened up their garages to me, many of them with some spectacular British cars. So, And, of course, British cars, my listeners know this, is where I started my passion. My father had a 49 MGTC when I was about five years old. Loved riding around in the left seat in that car because it was right-hand drive. So (laughs) uh, brings back great memories. Well, let's go back in time and talk about one of your memories. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. You had a very long career in the train industry, but is there a pivotal moment when you realized that you were a car guy? Well, I would I would say it was growing up as a as a kid in Kansas City with two older brothers. We were always. running go-karts and mini bikes. Uh, I remember as a little kid going off to Kansas City International Raceway as just almost a toddler and uh, watching Art Arfons and the Green Monster. And I just became enamored with things automotive and that grew into bikes, uh, motorcycles, um, cars. And uh, so I don't know that there was really a pivotal moment. I guess I I came out of the chute as a gearhead. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of us did. Well, my mother likes to tell the story when I was uh, about seven or eight years old. I'd tear my bike apart in the front yard and and see what uh, color paint my dad had in the garage. And I'd paint my bike and put it back together again and prattle off down the road. So it was just something that uh, was uh, natural for me. And that's uh, that's how that worked. Yep, I did the same thing. In fact, my dad was kind enough to take my bike and had it bead blasted or sand blasted, so I had something uh, fresh to start with, and then we bring it home and repaint it and pinstripe it. And 
I can't imagine how many, I can't even remember how many colors my bike was over the years, but I was always doing something fun with it. Well, what I'd love to do now, Mark, is take a look at some of the roads you've traveled down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you've faced. These things come along in everybody's lives, but the most important part of experiencing them are the lessons they teach us. So take us to one of your moments, walk us through it, and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward in your life. Well, I think one of the main pivotal moments of, that I had to deal with was breaking in and working as a train dispatcher at such a young age. Um, this was way back in the days before computer protection on orders that were issued by a train dispatcher. It was all written record transmitted to telegraphers. And if I did not perfect that craft, uh, there was a very real possibility of, of fatalities so it was, um, you had to go into it heart and soul. It was nothing to be taken lightly. Uh, the casualty rate for people that uh, started the craft and exited out the door soon thereafter was over 90%. Oh, my gosh. So it was, um, was kind of like being accepted into the Navy SEALs. It, it, has nothing to, it had really nothing to do with general intelligence. It just had everything to do with organizational capabilities. Hmm. And once I perfected that, it, uh, it has served me well uh, into the automotive trade on how it is uh, a large problem to coordinate multiple projects from uh, a two-day job to a two-week job to a two-month job to a two-year job and dovetail that together and, uh, and make it work from a business aspect. So. Uh, that that served me served me well. A lot like being an air traffic controller. I mean, you're having to watch so many things, and you make one mistake can be catastrophic. I would imagine back in the days before computers and computers that override to protect from uh, human error and so forth. I can't imagine the pressure that a job like that brought on. I, I tell you that there's no no feeling like thinking to yourself that you made an error. Yes. And you, you immediately break into a sweat. Yeah. Until the, you, you flip through the pages and realize you're okay. Oh, man. It's, it was a, a very um, interesting profession to have for the 20 years that I did it. Well, that's a long time to be protecting people's lives and having that pressure. But I love the way you translated this into something as mundane. And I'll say it that way only because of the seriousness of your previous job. It's not mundane to restore a car. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of complexities. But I see the, the correlation here of having to be very organized, step-by-step -step procedures in place so that everything falls into place. Your term dovetail is perfect for that of putting a car together. So nice, nice work there on how you tie that all together. Well, it has it, it has served me very well. You know, if you're waiting uh, for someone for a month or two or three for a certain subcontracted service, you have to continue. You have to keep keep the flow going, and uh, the the ability to do that, I think, separates not the men from the boys, really, but success and failure. If if you're not able to do that and figure out a, a way to make the flow smooth, then you have some real problems. Oh, absolutely. And I'll let our listeners know, I've seen some of Mark's work at our local Kirkland Concor when we had that event up in Kirkland. Some of the cars that were there that you restored, the All-British Field Meet events that we have here in the Pacific Northwest, you guys do some incredible work. So 
Kudos to you. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. I kind of think maybe I know where we might go after 20 plus years in the train industry and, and now you're restoring British cars. I mean, that's a big pivot. But is there a big aha moment you'd like to share for us? Yeah, I think so. I think my father was a railroader for 44 years and he fiercely protected the business and profession. He was uh, dispatching trains in Belgium and France during World War II. Wow. And that railroad uh, stamp on my head was, (laughs) was, was pretty heavy. And that's one of the reasons I went into the roundhouse as a laborer at age 17, because he got me the job. But he was living in Arizona at the time, and he came up to Seattle, moved up to Seattle with my mother. And he'd come in here once a week and when I was still working both jobs, uh, railroad and this job. And the longer he was here, he would look around and he'd go, you know, I think you can do this. And that approval from him meant a lot to me uh, because up to that point, he was saying, you know, hey, you've got all this, ex- all this uh, seniority. You've got full medical, full dental, four weeks vacation a year. You've got enough seniority to hold the job you want. Why do you want to do something like this? I had to go. Yeah, yeah. I just had to go. The restoration business was a big beacon off into the distance, and I just, I had to chase it. So that was probably my aha moment was my was my father looking around and going, you know, kid, I think you're doing you're going to do a good job at it. So, you know, what a heartwarming story you shared there. To get that accolade and approval from your father, which is oh so important to any young man, old man, son of any kind, didn't matter. Absolutely spectacular. Yeah, the train industry, my next-door neighbor, Bill, his son, Bill, works in the train industry and has for a long time, and uh, so does his brother-in-law. So uh, kudos to you folks out there that do that for us because the amount of goods and services shipped on trains around this country, I think a lot of people take it for granted. It's a massive, massive amount of goods and people, too, but goods, for that matter, that are shipped all over this country and around the world, of course. So Uh, But it kind of goes sight unseen. You don't really see trains that much. You think of them as old-fashioned, but uh, big part of the economy, massive part of the economy. Well, I I still like to complain when I'm sitting at Spokane Street downtown Seattle and have to wait for a slow freight or a switch (laughs) engine to go by. (laughs) I I know who to call, but I'm not going to call them. (laughs) Well, no, and you understand why they have to do what they have to do at the speeds, too. Some people go, why can't this thing go faster? You know, it's like. Uh, you don't want it to jump off a track, then you have a real serious problem. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about a proudest career moment? I would assume you've had many, but is there one that stands out? Well, I think there might be a, a couple. Uh, one year at the ABFM, uh, for example, the, they had two uh, divisions of uh, awards being awarded to the TR6s, uh, Triumph TR6s, both early and late. First, second, third, early. First, second, third, late. Of the six cars that got awards that year, I did three of them. Wow. So half of the awards were done here in the shop. That was probably uh, a nice little uh, Saturday. Uh, I think so. Upbeat. And I think the other one was the long, drawn out <clears throat> uh, restoration of the 55 Aston Martin DB24. That was one of 70 produced. And it took a long, long time to do the correct, what's the word I'm looking for? Just just the, the research on correctness, because the car was so rare. It took a long time. It was very cumbersome, uh, including flying one of my guys down to uh, San Diego to photo another one. 
I had a, a lot of conversation with a guy in South Africa that had a, a car. And when that was all completed, to see it displayed at Caroline Point at the Kirkland Concourse and uh, being interviewed uh, for a TV show as a result of that restoration, that was a, that was a watershed moment for me. And I remember remarking to a, one of my guys that uh, don't look now, but I think we hit the big time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations to you and your team. I remember seeing that car at that event. It was absolutely spectacular. One of the things I think people who don't know in depth the restoration industry is the amount of research, especially on classic cars, old cars that are unique, that goes into restoring a car to make it right. I've had many restorers on the show and the amount of time needed to research a car, all the little nuts and bolts and pieces and welds and all the things the way they were done so the car is done correctly eats up so much time. And that's why these costs raise up. But if you don't do that, you're going to make a huge mistake. And then the project for that customer is all for naught. So Again, you guys did fantastic work. I remember that car in particular. It really, really stood out. Yes, indeed. You hit the big time. It also harkens back to our previous uh, conversation when we're talking about business focus. Because the car is British, I understand that all the automakers in Britain back in the day, they all shopped at Lucas. Oh, yes. Yeah. The uh, turn signal relay on an Aston Martin is the same as uh, an XK120. Well, if you're not focused and, and work your niche and you're uh, a hot rod shop, you're not going to know that. So the the uh, the job is going to be longer, more expensive, more labor, because you really don't know where to look for these little nuances and idiosyncrasies of the cars. And that's why it's important for me to stay stay focused and try not to vary too far from that focus. Right. And nothing worse than being at a major Concours event and one of the judges says, this switch isn't right for this model car. And your client turns and looks at you with a look on his face like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I've had I've had Jags uh, at uh, judged Concours events and sit there and watch the judges walk by and the comments that they make, I'm, I'm thinking, and you're a judge? Well, you know, yeah, I, yeah, well we, well, we won't go down that road, but uh, exactly, yeah, many times the restorers know much more. And, you know, but to respect the judges, too, it is very hard to know everything about every car. I always scratch my head to go, how, how do they select these folks and how do they really know they know what they're talking about? But usually that's why there's a group of judges so they can bounce things off each other. But I've, sure. I've seen yeah. many arguments at a concord between an owner and a judge going, no, no, you're wrong. This is the way. <laughs> And that's why you've got to have your, have your documentation in order. Those binders are very important. So That's true. Yeah, absolutely. can save a first-place win from a second by just a half a point. So there you go. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car. Is there a car that you have special memories about? I do. I uh, was at a little drive-in food place in Deer Lodge, Montana one time, and I saw a 61 Corvette Roadster with a for sale sign in the window for uh, – for 900 bucks. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> and this was in uh, 1974. I was 17 years old. I bought that car for 900 bucks. I uh, had factory dual quads, all the ignition shielding. And as a young kid back in the day, I ripped all that stuff off. Put a Carter, a <laughs> <laughs> a Carter AFB with an Edelbrock high rise and hooker headers I bought in Butte for 50 bucks. Oh my. 
And I just had a gas with that car. But looking back on it, I'm appalled at what I did to that car. You know, from the, the hood, cutting a hood scoop in that I bought from J.C. Whitney for 20, <laughs> 26 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Those, those dual quads I tossed away are, you know, what are they now, 10, 15 grand? Yeah, they're hands teeth, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, so that, that car stuck with me. I, I, I used to torture the chief of police, Deer Lodge, because I was working graveyards on the railroad, and I'd be running around town during my lunch hour, uh, which was 3 o'clock in the morning, and the chief of police <laughs> would watch me and, and kind of wait for me to do something wrong. But uh, I ended up selling that car to his son. Oh, well. For 1200 bucks. So I made $300 and thought I hit the lotto. So. Oh, yeah. There you <laughs> go. Well, you know, back in those days, little did any of us know some of these collector cars would be worth what they were worth. And I remember a neighbor down the street from me when I lived in San Diego who had a Fosso Vega in his garage. And I remember looking at that thinking, what is this thing? And it never ran. It always just sat in his garage. And to this day... I've always thought, I wonder whatever happened to that thing. Uh, you know, it's just tucked back in a corner, all dusty and dirty. And uh, I don't know, silver with red leather. He used to let me sit in it when I was a little kid. He was one of the guys on my paper route, and he knew I liked cars. So, But I don't know where it ever landed. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go that kind of brings a tear to your eye? Yeah, I'd like to have that 61 Corvette back. <laughs> yeah, we just talked about it. Well, <laughs> well like, and uh, another car that I... I kind of regretted uh, selling was a, I bought a 1953 Buick Skylark convertible mm. in this little Montana town from uh, the television station owner. I remember I paid $6,000 for it. And at that time, it was a little bit beyond my ability to address any kind of a general restoration on the car. So lucky for me, I did not even try to start it. And I ended up selling the car to a guy that was collecting 53 everything from Packard Caribbeans to Skylarks. It just had to be 53. And that was a car I'd like to have back. It was a, a real classic, one of 800, I believe it was 860 or 1300. I can't wow. Remember, but that was quite a rare car. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I would love for you to tell our listeners a lot more about Britsport, the company you have now, all the different things you do there, maybe a couple of the very cool cars that you're working on. Well, we do uh, full restoration, full body and paint, mechanical, wiring. We do not do any in-house upholstery anymore. I usually uh, subcontract that out and all machine work, uh, heavy machining like turning uh, cranks and boring, all that kind of thing are turned over to uh, local subs that, uh, that I know and respect. Mm -hmm. We're heavy into, right now we're heavy into Jaguars. We've got uh, XK120, several 140s. Seems like a never-ending stream of XK150s coming through the door. Big Heelys. Uh, there's a, a Laganda 3-liter uh, saloon in here that came from Zimbabwe. Oh, wow. So it's quite an interesting place. I like to say that it's a, a working museum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some people come in and they start looking around and I uh, can't get them to leave. <laughs> yeah, uh, that can happen in restoration shops. Well, I'll remind our listeners, I'll put a link to Mark's website at Britsport of Seattle on his show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. He's got some beautiful pictures there of cars that he's done, cars in progress, his shop. You can check it out. Uh, lots of eye candy there for sure. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Mark. If you were a car, what kind of car would Mark be and why? Well, I would think uh, 
I, I certainly would not be a resale red Corvette. <laughs> I think probably if I was to be a car, I would be a, a finicky, moody, old, battered Bentley. <laughs> with a bunch of stone chips uh in the front from uh heavy driving on gravel roads uh, <laughs> and trying to beat trains <laughs> that, that's exactly right I, I have the bruises to prove it so i yeah i think I'd, that would be a little bit more accurate nicely patinaed for sure <laughs> i like that answer well mark up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors well, we're into December now, and the holidays are here. And if you have an automotive enthusiast on your list that's hard to buy for, get them a Covercraft gift card. They can go and order anything they want from the Covercraft website. All sorts of things are there, including car covers, dash covers, seat covers, sunscreens, front-end protection, floor mats, canine covers, work truck, power sports covers. There's everything there for the automotive enthusiast to take care of their special vehicles. I've been a Covercraft user since 1975. That's right, all the way back to high school. So go to Covercraft.com, click on the gift card button, order it in any denomination you'd like. You can put it in the mail, they'll ship it for you, stick it in a stocking, and you'll make somebody very happy. That's Covercraft.com, Covercraft gift cards at Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. All right, Mark, we are back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I think it's from an old upholsterer that uh, I took some work to. And uh, he looked at it, looked at me. He said, son, you can't make chicken soup out of chicken feathers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's the first time I've heard that one here, and I like it. I like it kind of akin to putting lipstick on a pig, but... Uh, uh, exactly right, and I see a lot of cars coming in here that are uh, lipstick on yeah. a pig, so... Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's a great one. I love that. I'm going to have to quote you on that one. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your many successes? Trying to express uh, full honesty and disclosure with customers. They need to be 100% involved in what we're doing, and that makes the relationship, it, it solidifies the relationship and makes the, the journey much more pleasant when we're both on the same page. Uh, both of us are aware of uh, what's going on, and everything is done with the, with the owner's approval. 
uh, to a certain standard. Uh, I sleep better at night, uh, knowing that I, there is full disclosure. You know, if you if you get chicken feathers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I think that's the best way to conduct business. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure your clients sleep better at night, too. And I'll tell you, I've had many, many guests on the show that involved in the restoration marketplace, and they've all said the same thing, that failures are due to that lack of clear, honest communication every single time. I've had many friends send cars off to places, and they just are so frustrated. They can't get clear, honest answers. Timelines are not met. Uh, things escalate in price without being told. Uh, so, uh, so happy to hear that. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of them these days, but is there one that you particularly enjoy? Not really. I was. I would be very careful of people uh, surfing the net because uh, it's a minefield of misinformation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as far as a resource goes, it's time to relax, do your, do your research, exercise your due diligence, uh, seek out professionals when they need to be sought, mark specialists, that kind of thing. I, I think if you, you really hold your breath, don't, don't let the, the red mist fog your vision <laughs> yeah. and uh, do your due diligence, it would serve you very well. Yeah, I always practice asking for references and make sure you call them and talk to them. And one of the best questions you can ask a reference is, if there's one thing that vendor could have done differently and better, what would it have been? Because it opens up a door, a little light that usually glows brighter and brighter and brighter as you let them talk. Just be <laughs> quiet and let them talk. And they'll start to share some stuff that maybe they weren't going to share originally. So, That's yeah, true. yeah, vet everything. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? Well, my first reaction would be uh, the Scottish Grand Prix driver, Archie Scott Brown. Oh, wow. He was born in 1927. Uh, his mother was afflicted with German measles, which resulted in him being quite formed at birth with the use of only one hand. His legs were almost 180 degrees off from his trunk. He went through 22 operations. Uh, he never grew over five feet tall, and he became a highly successful Grand Prix driver with one hand. Wow. One of my favorite stories that I read about Archie Scott Brown is when he was driving the, the works Aston Martin DB2 prototype at Spa-Francorchamps. He stopped during the race at a roadside bar to get a beer to go. <laughs> And I figured, now, any, anybody who snaps yes. a prototype Aston for a brewski in the middle of the race, I'd just like to sit down and have a picture with him. Well, and an inspirational guy to go through what he had to go through and face in his life with his physical challenges and still be successful. But I think that little story you shared shows some real character yeah. in yeah, a if fellow. You look, if, if you look him up on Wikipedia, the, the, his... Uh, handlebar mustache and the look on his face is just like a he just looks like a spark plug oh gosh i'm gonna look into him a little bit more i wasn't aware of him which i'm a little bit ashamed to say that i didn't know about him but uh yeah i think i'm gonna do a little research here well how about a book is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy yeah it's a little bit uh focused but there is a swiss lawyer by the name of Urs schmid that put out a uh, two-volume set of books, and they were issued tw uh, 10 years apart, which pretty well tells you the extent of the research that went into them. 
but it's called Jaguar XK120, Anatomy of a Cult Object. And it's absolute, absolutely uh, impeccable, amazing research that went into the production of those two books. And now he has since passed away, but uh, that's uh, a two-volume uh, printing that I really enjoyed. Wow. First time those books have been recommended here on Car Show, which I'm happy for. And I'll remind our listeners... You can find links to all these great resources Mark has shared on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type Mark Jones into the search bar. This page will pop up. There's also a great place on the website called Guest Recommended Books, where these books and all the books recommended by my past 931 inspiring automotive enthusiasts are listed, and I made it really easy for you to click and buy. All right, Mark, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. Sorry to quote another Mark that's not British, but (laughs) if I could buy you any cool collector car today to park in your garage, money's no object, but I want you to enjoy it and drive it so you can't sell it to buy a bunch of British cars with. (laughs) What would that car be and why? I would think if I had the choice of having only one car in my garage and living with it and respecting it for the rest of my life, it would be one of the 50-odd Jaguar C-types that were built. Uh, there's not a bad way of looking at the car. It was iconic at the time. It was a world meter, many victories at Le Mans. And it's a, it's a very, very important milestone car that was produced. And there's just no bad way of looking at it. I could, I could think I could go out in the garage and sit on a stool uh, with a fresh glass of Cabernet and just stare at it for an hour or two. Uh, yes, uh, no, no doubt. And I appreciate the fact that you didn't cite a specific uh, serial number for the one that you want. This makes it a little bit easier for me to go find you the right car. But, oh, gosh, they're so beautiful. Yeah, Actually, absolutely. I, I believe XKC7, the seventh one produced. Is oh, OK. Well, here we go. I yeah. opened Pandora's box here. <laughs> so if you got the, what, 8 to 12 million, I'd, that'd be great. Appreciate well, it. Well, hey, no worries, because, you know, <laughs> a few weeks ago, somebody wanted a GTO Ferrari, which I think I bought 18 of those now here on Car Show. <laughs> so almost every one that was ever made, actually, I think they made 32 or 33, maybe 34 of those cars. I've got a, little, a few more to go. So before there I have to go. start buying them back from my guests and giving them to a new ones. So <laughs> I appreciate well, The good thing that. about a C-Type Jaguar is I understand it. If I would get a Ferrari 250 GTO, I wouldn't even know. I'd look around and uh, nothing would be familiar, but a C-Type, I could I could blend right in with that one. Well, absolutely. Ah, what a beautiful car. I would like nothing more to see you cruising the beautiful back roads around here in the Pacific Northwest in the summertime in that C-Type. Very nicely done. Well, Mark, you've taken us on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better, and I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you off- oh, thank you. Would you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that Jaguar? Jag- I'll, I should say Jaguar C-Type. Exactly. The people that come in here and call them Jaguars, I want to just... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> turn them and throw them out the door. Uh, yes, a, a Jaguar. That's, Jaguar. That's the proper way. Yeah. Yes, British. Very uh, British. Fa, fa, fa. I think a, a final word of advice to your listeners would be to uh, find something in life to be passionate about and try not to sit and, and stagnate or be content with, with the status quo and it doesn't matter what you're passionate. It could be gardening. It could be cars. It could be collecting butterflies. But find, find a passion, and I think you're you're going to be more content in yourself and uh, 
and proud of your accomplishments if you if you do that. So absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing there at Britsport and learn more about your company? My poor website has been fairly ignored for the last year and a half. I need to really update that. But you can follow the website. Uh, we are on Facebook, uh, Britsport of Seattle on Facebook. And uh, I'll see you at the car shows. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to all these great things on Mark's show notes page on the Cars yeah website and his show notes page. So check it out. Check out Bridgeport of Seattle. I think you're going to have a fun time. If you're ever up in the Pacific Northwest, contact Mark. And of course, if you've got a British car that needs some work, he's the guy to call. Mark, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you, chap, down the road. Thank you, Mark. Cheers. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Cars Yeah!